0: I'm going to invite the children to come down in just a second. That's right, come on, you got to come on down. We got a baptism this morning. You get to watch and be a part of. <clears throat> so come on, line over here. You guys, you got to stand this side today. Come on right over here, so you can all see. There you go. Very good. This is for baby Kalia. And you see her? Where is she? There she is in the pink. Kind of wrapped up right now. We're going to get her out in just a minute. And uh, you get to watch. And the neat thing is that you get to be rem- reminded that people have been doing things for you even before you were born. Your moms and uh, you particularly probably were very careful what they ate and all kinds of things for most of you. They were concerned about you even before they ever got to hold you. And if you listen to our text, uh, and the, uh, not the text, but the psalm we read today, it said, even before you were formed inside your mummy, God knew who you were. You understand it? That? That's what we want to always keep in mind. God really knows me, even though I might be very small, and as small as Kalia. Can you remember that? Here we go. We'll invite moms, dads, sponsors, and everyone to come join us. <clears throat> oh, yes, thank you. Forgot about that. That's some special water. It's not really that special, but it's kind of special meaning. Can okay, you know where it came from? Jordan River. Oh, that's fun. If you ever get a chance, you get to go over to the Jordan River. Do you know who was baptized in the Jordan River? Jesus, very good, yeah. So, welcome. Well, as we gather together today, we are uh, about to be a part of, in our own small way, but more importantly, witness uh, what God's calling and pursuing of us really means. So many times we forget that before we were even formed in the womb, God knew us and that uh, he inscribed our name, which we probably won't know fully till we get to heaven, uh, the one that he gave us. But the name that we give one another here while we dwell on earth is the names that we use in baptism. But the miracle, of course, is as God pursues us, we become very alert of the continuous love and the commitment he makes and uh, the opening of our minds and our hearts and our spirits so that we fully comprehend all that he has given to us in Christ and given to us as uh, his, our, our Savior and Lord. As we uh, stand before, as parents and sponsors, I ask you, uh, as you understand, you cannot be believe for clearly. It is not something you can do. You can intercede for her, though. You can lift her up uh, in prayer and commitment, and pray over her and fight the spiritual battle for her life and heart and spirit. You have been selected by Mom and Dad because you're special. And you have been called uh, by God in this particular instance to have a special relationship with her and to treasure her in a special way. And so I ask, as you understand these responsibilities, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you understand that by grace He has named you and called you into His kingdom? And do you desire with your whole heart to join in that spiritual battle for the life and salvation and the wholeness that He has in store for this precious little child called Kalea? If so, answer yes by the grace of God. Yes. And as parents, I speak to you because of the uniqueness of your responsibility 24-7, that special gift as we understand that uh, child of love that uh, we bring into the world. And uh, fully comprehending, at least in part, and not even beginning to grasp it as we taste and experience that moment where you hold that child And look into their eyes and they become that person that God smiles and goes, Yes, I know. I've known her a long time already. And we just, in that moment, enter into that feeling that God has for you every day. And so if you can hang on to that preciousness, that first breath that uh, they almost take away when they're laid on the mother's belly and you look at them for the first time and you begin to say, Thank you, God, for this precious miracle. And so as parents, uniquely called by God to be the parent of this precious child, as God has seen fit to give her to you as a a gift, to uh, steward her, to guard her, to intercede for her, to walk down this path in both harmony and fellowship, to protect her with uh, the toughness of parents and the tenderness that parents need, I ask you before God and these witnesses, is it your heart's desire to love this precious child as God has called you to love her? Is it your desire to continue to intercede for her to the very best of the God-given ability as He pours His Spirit into you to speak His truth, His love into her life? Do you promise that you, as she grows older, will place into her hands the truth of God's Word and Scripture so that she will fully comprehend all that God has done for her? And not above all, but just as important as all the rest, Do you agree to continue to love one another in spite of all the challenges and difficulties that life, children, circumstances, the world, and our own flesh dump on us? If that's your heart's desire today, I want you to say yes with the help of God. And as people of witnessing and a part of the fellowship of Lamb of God, the family of God does not stop with mom and dad. It only begins there and as sponsors expand that family of God a little bigger, and you guys are part of that family too, and all of us as adults realize that the family that God calls us into is a family that holds us accountable, a family that loves us, a family that is meant to risk and sacrifice for one another, a family that holds us closely when we've fallen down, picks us up, and into those circumstances of our life, continues to enter in. And so I ask you, as the family of Lamb of God, as men and women and children called by God to be in His family, will you love Kalia as your sister in the Lord? Will you love her mom and dad, and even the sponsors, and pray for them, and help them, and do that all that you can to support and encourage and nurture this life This child that God before all time knew by name and called, I pray, if that's your heart's desire, say yes with the help of God. Super. All right. Myself ready. You gotta take her head off though. It's gonna be a little harder with that. Try and take her head off. Maybe it's a better answer. There. I wasn't the one that tied it. Mama, that's all right. Don't worry about it. There we go. I'll trade you her for the blanket. Okay, Let's see if you can get the blanket out from underneath her, too. Precious chair. G- I'll take her. You hang it or Just keep your hands there. Got the blanket. Oh, <laughs> Pastor, you're so rough. it. <laughs> I love these. <laughs> I love them. Yes, you can gurgle into my mouth all you want. There you go, precious child. There we go. Kalia, Patty, Alice. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. Oh, I'm using the wrong water. child who God loves and so I set upon you this oil to remind you that you have been called by name that your father in heaven knows you and all things in you I set upon you this mark to remind you that you belong to him so I lift you up before God's altar and I remind you God Christ in Christ has died for you and loves you and you're more precious than you'll ever fully comprehend. And he guards your life in all things. So we pray over her today. Join me if you would. Dear Jesus, watch over Kalia. Bless her heart and spirit. Give her wisdom and joy in you in all things. Draw her into your kingdom, Lord. Fill her with your power and your Holy Spirit. And let your anointing rest on her in a powerful and mighty way. May she be your child from this day forward. And may her witness and her testimony be yours always. Amen. Why, well, that's about perfect, huh? You get to sit down. Here, just a minute. Well, now that I have you up here, I wanted to show you something else. Because one of the lessons we learn in our sermon today is as God pours himself into us, that he wants us to hold on to that. There's a passage that I'm going to read you that talks about the children of God, some of them doing it right, and some of them doing it wrong. Some take what God has given them and they treasure it. And they use it in their lives. And some don't. So, Mr. Buckmeyer, my volunteer. And uh, Mr. Grossman, my volunteer. Thank you so much. I got two volunteers. I know you can't read it, but it goes God's way. And Mr. Grossman gets that one. Make sure it's open in there. And this one here says... My way, all right? Doing things either God's way or my way, we're going to be talking about in the sermon. Now, you guys got to open it up, because I'm going to fill you up with a little bit of the Lord right here. Now, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being a river of water. He welcomes us into his kingdom through the work of baptism. Baptism. And it speaks of Jesus being the water of life. In heaven even, there is the water of life that flows right from under the throne where the Father sits. And so water into our lives like this is poured and it's meant to do what for us? Fill us? Fill us up. Yeah. You see that? If you do things God's way, God is able to fill you up. But sometimes people don't like doing things God's way. It kind of goes, I love you, God, but I'm going to do it my way. I love you, God, but I'm not going to let you tell me how to live my life. I don't care what you say. I have to do this. And They get really stubborn. See that? The old my way. No, you can't zip it up. You got to. So God comes along. Does he love people who do it their way? Yeah. No, no, he loves them both. Does he love people who do it his way? Yes. Does he try and pour himself into them? Yes. Does he love people who do it my way? Yes. Will he try and pour himself into their lives? What's happening? It leaks right out. Not a good signal. Put it in the baptismal font there. And then roll around on the ground and dry it up. Uh, He looked at me going, what? Do you understand? If you've ever seen somebody come to church but they're living their life their way, it's like something is draining out of them. It's like it takes their happiness. It like it takes their heart. It just sucks it out, and it just leaks God's love all over the ground, and God's love can't do what for them? It can't fill them up. Because all those little holes, we poke those in our lives. It goes, I'm going to do it my way, and we Poke a hole in our life. And I don't like what you told me to do, God. And we poke a hole in our life. And we get disobedient. And we get selfish. And we get, oh, and we poke those holes in our life. And pretty soon, all that God has given us is laying on the floor. Now, how would you like to know you were going to go take a walk through the desert and you had a choice? You could carry a bag that's full of water to drink. Or this bag. Which one would you like to carry into the desert? God's way. way. Why? So you'd have plenty to drink. drink, Because right away in the desert you'll get thirsty really fast, right? If you do things your way, in life you're going to get thirsty really fast. And you will lose all that God's trying to give to you. Now we're going to talk about that more in the sermon. You watch God pour himself into Kalia this morning, and he just pours himself into this precious child's life, and that shows us the amount of love he has for us. What we do with his love, that becomes our response. So, you see if you can listen to that part of the sermon, okay? Now I need some towels, and I need, uh, Susan, my bag, please. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. And stay away from the puddle so you don't get wet. I've got a treat for you guys, okay? <sighs> Here you go. There's one in the bag. You can grab them out of the bag or from my hand. Either one. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Is he back there? Sure. Grab one from the bag or from my hand. Either one's fine. You're You're welcome. One for you, Jeff. <clears throat> and if Steve, you'd learn to listen, I'd give you one. But uh... you <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't deserve that. I'd like to read you a little text out of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, and maybe hopefully tie it all together for you in the section that we've got in Matthew. 2 verse 13 says this. I'm going to find it here for you. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Now I looked at that section and as I thought about what life is, what is it to you? Is life simply the beating heart and the intake and exhaust of oxygen and and, uh, carbon dioxide in that process? Or do you have some other concept of what life is supposed to be? Uh, Normally, we have an immense amount of opinions about life. Immense amount of opinions about what a good life is and what it means to be alive and all kinds of things. God is uh, talking about Himself as the source of life here, the water of life, and He is, you can see where I got my illustration from, describing the problem that He has with His own people. You understand? You and I are those people. And he says, I've got this thing, these situations, these two things against you. You've committed two sins. Not only have you forsaken me, the spring of living water, but you've insisted on digging, creating your own bag or cistern to carry whatever water there is in. And as you create your own cistern, it leaks out and you have nothing. It is cracked. You are barren, you are dry, but you still call yourself my people. And so the challenge, of course, is to understand that process of what it is to poke holes in the bag of your cistern, to think that that cistern is adequate enough to think that that will suffice you and carry you through the desert of life and the circumstances you have to deal with. The problem with people is we always think we're smarter than God. We always feel we've got a better plan. We always think that it's got to be our way. And we eventually connect life and happiness and a whole lot of different things together. And we get ourselves into situations where we're nothing but leaky bags. We have no real power in us because we've poked so many holes with compromise, immorality, bitterness, anger, and harshness that we have just leaked out as fast as God pours himself in, and we are about as useful to people who are thirsty as a broken cistern is if you were traveling through the desert and it had been filled with water and all of the water leaked out, but you were needing water to drink and there was none there for you to have. So the dilemma that we face sometimes in this whole question of life is not only dealing with the living water, the life-giving water of God, and we, we understand why he chose water. There is no way that you survive very well or very long without water. Liquid, but specifically water. And you understand, they say, that like you can live for quite a while without it, but it would take uh, anywhere between two to five days, where pretty soon, without water, with any, out anything like that, you would probably die, depending upon how much movement you had and the condition of your life and everything else. So you begin to understand, God uses this analogy very clearly, and then he identifies, my people forsake me, then they go a step further, they create their own holding things, and those things leak out whatever I pour into their lives. Now as you begin to understand that, you begin to recognize uh, the, the flavor of that, I want to read another one. This one also comes out of Jeremiah. It comes out of Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22. And in this particular section, my people are fools. They do not know me. They're senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They don't know how to do good. Now, I looked at those and I go, those are two heavy sections. But notice the intimacy. My people. My people. Have you ever said that for your children? My kid, my my own child, right? I want you to understand the heart of the father for his children. I want you to feel it because he has to speak the truth. And the truth is, sometimes my own child, if he picks me and calls me his child, my own child Bruce will do exactly the same thing. He will forsake me, he'll hew his own cistern, and then he'll wonder why his life is so dry and empty and void of power and life and grace and joy and everything else that I wanted to pour into him. Have you watched your own child? Have you seen those children that sometimes have been raised and the Spirit of God is poured into them and pretty soon they begin poking those holes in the side of their own cistern and pretty soon in the process of poking it, doing it my way, not God's way, the power of God and the grace of God and the life of God drains and dribbles and runs in uselessness down across their feet and across the floor in that sense and does not accomplish what God sent it. To really accomplish, and because we've ripped that cistern or broken that cistern, we don't carry it. And then you read this text and you begin to go, my people are foolish that you cannot believe what they're capable of. They don't know me. Now I go, how in the world is it possible to be my people but not know God? You know, the possibilities are just unbelievable when you understand. We many times, even as God's people, Create a God of our own making. How many times when we're studying in the morning Bible study or you're reading in your own word, where you read something about God, and you go, wow, I didn't know that about Him. So many times you create a God that really doesn't care. There's this section about believers marrying unbelievers, and I took the kids in class to that the other day, and it says, if you want to know how serious I am about not marrying unbelievers, and it says... I will withhold answering your prayers. And it says that God sits there in Malachi, this is Malachi chapter 2, that God sits there and He says, you can weep and wail all you want. I am not listening. I'm not heeding what you have to say. When was the last time you spiritually asked the question in your own heart or life, is God answering your prayers? Is God responding to your requests? And God said, have you noticed? You're not getting anything from me, are you? And you begin to go, exactly what the people in Malachi had to do. You ask, why? And God answers and He says, I am acting as a witness against you. I am bearing testimony against you that your actions, attitudes, and behavior are damnable. And I am willing to seal myself off against you in order to get your attention holy cow is it really that important to you god and god says don't you know me don't you know me How many times have I revealed my heart to you? How many times have I told you who I am? How many times have I demonstrated my love and my commitment, my sacrifice, and you still don't know me? And then it goes on to speak in that section in Malachi chapter 2 of why this is important to God. Now I look at this text and I go, they do not know me, they're senseless children. They behave with... lacking understanding they can't do things and separate them mentally they can't get it figured out you understand they just can't put two and two together and come up with four it's like they put two and two together and come up with twelve or two or whatever the number is they can't figure it out it's right there in front of them but they insist on their inability to figure it out and i go what's usually the reason Well, ignorance is certainly one option. Stupidity is an option. But ultimately, many times in God's people, it's stubbornness. It's just plain stubborn. These men in Malachi wanted to marry themselves some young woman. The wife had gotten old and hard to live with. And these pagan fathers over there, they'd give us their young daughters at will And these men said, well, that's fine then. And they're walking around living in this contented attitude and God just sits there and seals up and closes against them and He stares them down. And He says, nothing to them. What does it look like when God stops giving water and pouring that water as you continue to slice that bag? Have you ever seen the children of Israel? Have you looked at what they do? There's that cycle that they follow. It's this cycle of they, 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 they were strong with the Lord. God fills them up. God blesses them. Their crops, their people, their children, all things are blessed. And then they begin that slow process of drifting. And drifting means they just kind of get into that attitude where they go from one spot to another. And they just kind of cease to make God and His word and Who he is, that important to him. And they move from there to actually stepping toward falling away. But they're a little bit afraid, so they fall away in little steps and stages until finally they wake up one morning and they realize they are gone. Their relationship with God has been severed by their lack of commitment to it. Their bag is empty. It isn't a problem of God's willingness to love them as much as it's an awareness that as fast as God pours it into them, it spills on the ground, having no ability to satisfy, change their lives, or make anything different. And then you watch their circumstances, and they begin to dry up. Their crops begin to suffer. Their families begin to suffer. Their culture begins to deteriorate. Justice leaves them. They elect crummy presidents. Oh, excuse me, that's an American application. They get into crummy kings. They get into situations where God has obviously closed the heart off and said, I'm not answering you until you deal with your sin. Now, some people say, how cruel of God. And I go, no. It's how much do you love the people. If you allow those people to move forward like that, they eventually just drift away until there's nothing left in them. And God has got to get your attention the first time you poke the first hole in the bag. Where are the holes in the bag of your life? Where are you busting the sides of your cistern open? Where are you creating a situation like that? Because if you don't understand it, you're creating a situation where the love of God, the mercy of God drains out of you and you will dry up. You can watch people do it. In the Bible, you can watch them do it right in front of you. Your own son, your own daughter, they will dry up right in front of your eyes. You will watch them struggle in their prayer life. You'll watch them get more and more hesitant of hanging around with godly people. You will watch them walk away and always those little tiny steps until finally there is nothing there and they blow with the dust of whichever direction of wind or whim of their own heart or the world is pushing them. And that's the nature of what God is trying to stop. Now we go to that Matthew text, and you begin to understand in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, what's life? Is life you getting to do what you want? Is that your perception of life? Is life you being happy? Have you reduced your relationship with God down to, well, if I'm happy, then it's good? If I'm not happy, it must be evil. Do you think Jesus Christ would have answered, I am happy? While he was down here? Being humiliated and ridiculed and beat up for you and me? Happy would not have been one of his words. committed, sacrificially in love with you, understanding the need of your life, Willing to sacrifice it all for your benefit? That he would have said. But if you said, is this something that makes you happy? That shallow, little, that shallow little attitude that usually has something to do with what's happening or your moment of contentment. You understand, parents can't necessarily get up and say, every night I get up at midnight for the child or 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm really happy. When my child is sick and they're throwing up all over the place... I'm not using the word happy. I am cleaning it up. I am committed to this child. But happy is not a word you'll hear me using right now. Okay? I'm a little happier when everything they eat stays in the right places. Not when it comes out unpredictably. And so you begin to understand if you understand commitment, if you understand this, God goes, my people have to recognize who I am. I have not been called to make you happy. The trouble with living with sinners is that in many cases you won't be happy because sinners are just that. They're messy people. They are adults and you're still cleaning up after them. They're adults. They should know better, but they don't. They are children, they are little, they are big, they are in between, and they still act and behave in ways that are inappropriate. And God says, I need people who are willing to take up their cross, follow me, and watch what he does with this now, okay? He must deny himself. Oh my goodness, what a terrible word. If you think you're going to live together with a man or a woman and not deny yourself, don't get married. Anybody that's been married a week, a month, or a year knows exactly what I'm talking about. And they know how hard that is to do. Because most of our life, I didn't get what I wanted for Christmas. I am going to go here. I am not going to help with dishes. I'm too busy. I is the word that we usually often use in our own lives. And it doesn't matter whether a young or old, Christian or non-Christian, that big capital I fills us up, and it's very difficult to say, you are more important than I am. And God, your will, not mine, be done. And yet at the same time, it's the words, your will, not mine, be done, that should have stirred in your heart an awareness of the sacrifice of Jesus for you, and for me, and the change it produced in our lives and circumstances. God in Christ said, your will, Father, not mine, be done. He understood that struggle that you have. He understood when the I has to diminish, Peter and other, the apostles always would say that too. I must diminish so that Christ can increase. I must decrease. Christ can increase. They understood the concept. You can't say to Paul, Paul, do you enjoy spending years in prison? Paul, are you really happy that they just whipped you 39 times? Paul, are you really glad that they're threatening to take your life and attack you every opportunity they get? The word happy would not enter Paul's vocabulary. Committed would. Follower of Jesus would. Sacrificial love would. I am willing to go where you say, Jesus. I have taken up the cross. and I will follow Jesus you then he goes on for whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it and whoever loses his life for me will find it what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul now just so you know the words soul and life are exactly the same word in the greek so you understand it you can read this and write this out speaking in every way you want if Whoever tries to save his soul will lose it. Whoever loses his soul for me will find it. That soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That thing you call personality. What I want, when I want, and how I want it. The me of my life. That personhood that you claim is so important. God says, if you want to hang on to it, lay it down and let go of it. No, I've got to do things my way. I, right? That battle. You understand, you cannot pick up God's cross if you're busy establishing your own will. You can't walk with God while you're busily doing it your way. You can't be any more useful than a leaky bag. That's all you have to offer in a dry, parched world. You have nothing. You give your children nothing. You give your spouse nothing. You give your friends nothing. You are a leaky bag of no use whatsoever because you have chosen to forsake. You have chosen to sit and build your own, hew your own cistern that is cracked and broken and everything else like that. And so, here in this miracle, what good is it? The answer, of course, you're supposed to come up with no good. What good is it to have a leaky bag going into the desert? The kids could figure it out. Which bag do you want, kids? The one that holds the water. Why wouldn't you want the other one? Because there's no life in it. There's no obedience in it. There's nothing that we need to sustain ourselves in the desert and the circumstances of life. I need to be a cistern that holds what God has poured into me. Take up your cross, okay? And it finishes it off. What good can a man man give in exchange for his life or his soul? And the answer you need to come up with is nothing. But the key is so many people are willing to sell their lives or their souls for a moment for a situation, for a level of comfort, for a level of peace, a level of ease. Has God ever asked you, I want you to step out and go into this terribly uncomfortable situation, and I want you to witness, or I want you to sacrifice, or I want you to involve yourself. I want you to let go of your money. I want you to let go of your time. I want you to sacrifice what you had planned for the day for the sake of what I'm asking you to do. Has God laid that upon your heart? and you understood it, and you refuse God, you cut that hole in the bag and wonder why your life is dry. Have you had the opposite experience? Where grudgingly, feet dragging along the ground like a kid having to do the dishes, you know? All right, I'll do the dishes, you know. And in that moment, when you step out, even in that dragging foot obedience, God somehow blesses your circumstances, turns it around in its tracks, and says, do you see what I can do, even with your grudging obedience? Have you ever been moved to pray, and then you go, oh, gee, I have to pray, and all of a sudden you're praying for someone, and God's Spirit just goes, boom, and starts dropping into your life and circumstance? Has God told you I want you to repent, and I want you to go apologize to somebody that you've sinned against? And you go, oh, God, I can't, I can't, I can't, and God steps in there and says, do it? And you finally step out in obedience and you taste for the first moment what the living water really is like. Do you understand what living water tastes like to a dry, parched throat? If you don't, it's because you have not obeyed. You have not received what God has been pouring out into your world. It drains out of you and you don't understand it any longer. And so the call is, take up your cross, deny yourself... Follow me, the directives that are going in there in that, in the, in that process, and the, the flavor of what's going on in that section. So what God is trying to communicate to you and I today is how many times do I have to let you know that you and I are just like the children of Israel. I was talking to the men's study this weekend, and I said, all right, men, how would we do if we said, uh, anonymously, we are going to write down our ten worst sins. We're going to post them on little pieces of paper, big enough for you to read from your seat, about the major sins that you've done in your life since you were born. And I said, I'm absolutely convinced every wretched sin that's ever been done in the world might find its way up on that wall. See, what is the church made of? A group of sinners. A group of people that struggle. A group of people that sometimes get hypocritical. A group of people who say one thing and do the other. A group of people that need to be convicted and drawn back again and refreshed and refilled and their souls and their hearts and their lives bandaged back up. That's the only kind of people God gets to work with in any fellowship that He works with. But the question that He's posing for you is, Child, I love you so very much. Can't you receive what I want to pour into your life? And as soon as you step into that point where it says, Lord, I lay down my life, I pick up that bag called God's will, that water pours into me, and for the first time, I can begin to taste that freshness. I can begin to be refreshed. I thought repentance would break me. Instead, repentance sets me free. I thought saying I will do it your way God will make me more bitter and angry and instead saying I will do it your way God God's spirit just flows into my life and he gives me a different set of eyes and a heart and my mind begins to clear and I begin to see things and my skin and my body and my mind and my spirit become refreshed and in the miracle of what God's trying to communicate to you and I God is pouring this out into your life and the call, the call is do what I've asked you to do step out, take the right bag, let me fill it up, do it my way, and watch what I do in your life. How many situations have you been in where you discover that God's way really works? You've been in a life, you live long enough. I, I've been in situations where I, I was absolutely convinced it's this way, this way, this way, and then finally God gets you to that point and you stop doing it. And then weeks or months or years later, God's Spirit taps you and says, Who is right? You were Lord. What? You were Lord. How are you doing? You understand? I can't believe what God has been able to change. I can't believe what God has been willing to heal. I can't believe what God has been able to turn around in its tracks. I can't believe the mercy of God. And that's the fresh water. I am the living water. Not only am I myself living, moving, functioning, not only that, but I bring life into you. Life that allows you to stand your ground, whether it's political, whether it's social, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whatever side you've got to stand on. And pretty soon you stand with God. I want you to pray with me. Here we go. Father, I covenant with you now. I am a man of unclean lips. My life is filled with a a bag that I've ripped and torn holes in. Lord, I'm not even sure I can tell you I will be obedient right now. But I'll tell you this much. Not being obedient dries me out. Not stepping up in faith empties your spirit out of my life and steals from me the joy of salvation and steals from me the purpose and the call that you've given me. So I pray, Lord, today that you would work in my life, that you would work in my heart, that you would bring a healing into all of our lives. I pray that we would begin to walk in real life, That we would taste life like we've never tasted it before. I pray for your refreshing spirit to be poured out into us, Lord. I pray that we would understand grace in a brand new way. I pray, Lord, that we would live in it. But I also pray, Lord, that we would stand in it and allow it to fill us up with the power and mercy and love you want for us. Pour that into our lives in every way, Lord Jesus. Let your will be done. We pray this all in your name. Amen.